0: Happy Valley, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground and mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from the writing of John Gill, a staunch Calvinist whose commentary on the entire Bible is considered his magnum opus. Proverbs 19.17 reads, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Gill writes, A man whose heart is full of compassion to the poor and whose hands distribute to their necessities, from a true principle of love and charity to men and with a view of the glory of God and not from any selfish principle and with an end, such as a man's gift to the poor, is a loan to the Lord and shall be returned with advantage. He pays him again, either in this life, in things temporal and spiritual, increasingly his worldly substance, blessing his posterity, granting him larger measures of grace, indulging him with his gracious presence, and giving him peace of mind, which all passes understanding." My guest today is Rico Kaplan, a missionary, street preacher, author, and a man on fire with the Word of God. I often perceive a person with your calling was intended by God to be doing it. Maybe he showed you doing it in a dream one night, or he caused your heart to grow increasingly burdened to do it until Mm. you simply could not imagine doing anything else. Mm. So Rico, share with us your life teaching practical evangelism to the body of Christ.
1: July 12, 1972. Uh, At 10 o'clock at night, I looked up into um, the sky and said, I'll follow you to Christ. That's pretty much what it was. It was no uh, music or preacher screaming or anything like that. And the next day, I thought to myself, wow, this stuff is so good. I got to go share it with people. I didn't even know what evangelism was. I had no clue what the word meant. Uh, if you asked me I wouldn't have known and uh, when I told people in the church that I was doing that they were they were aghast. So are you kidding me? So well I mean look I got a, a New Testament and uh, this wonderful thing happened to me. Why don't I go and tell people on the beach? So I did. I went up to people on the beach and said, hey, uh, guess what last night I did this and it changed my life overnight I was a different guy. So in my mind, in my mind, it was always like I didn't receive teaching from anybody. it was just... This is good stuff. I got to pass it on. Be kind of like if you found a cure for cancer. I ask people this in church. I say, if you, with your friends, found a cure for cancer, and you had three relatives that have cancer, and you have four friends that have cancer, and, you know, there's a hospital full of children with cancer, what would you do? I doubt very much that, that I or you would sit around and say, let's figure out how we can make money, how we can sell this thing for a million dollars. We would love, especially our loved ones, or especially if we were sick with cancer, we'd want to share it. I mean, it it's really makes logical sense. So for me, if the gospel is truly the, ca- the cancer cure for, for the cancer of sin, how in the world can you keep it to yourself? It I makes, love that. It makes no sense. No, it, we'd
0: be shouting it from the rooftops. It, we okay, want to share so, it all.
1: So the question is, then, why don't people do so? And so I think there's a combination, back to your question, how do I share with the body of Christ? Because for me, sharing with people, in other words, it doesn't matter to me. I know some of the questions you asked later on about life and death and whether you're going to die doing this and so forth. Um, you don't think twice if the building is burning and you know you can jump in and pull the baby out of there. Uh, somebody falls in a river and you can swim and you know you can swim across. And if you don't swim, the baby going to die. to fell in the water. You don't say, Oh, maybe I'll die. And if it was your child, you don't, think even, you don't think for a split second. You just jump in and do it, right? I think okay, so. Well, it's the, same, it's the same thing. It's really the same thing. If indeed there is an eternal destiny and it can go bad and I know how to make it go good, why in the world would I not do something about it? And who cares if I lose my life in the process? And we have people who don't believe in anything, people who are atheists or agnostics or other faiths who don't believe in anything, and they put their life down for people all the time. So if we indeed have this message, and we have this wonderful truth, and this wonderful uh, way to get away from this problem called sin, which in Greek means to miss the mark, then why in the world don't we tell people? And so how do I share with the body of Christ? I think... I think basically the biggest problem is his lack of education. I think most people are scared of rejection. Most people don't like to be rejected. And so what happens is, if if you tell them, go share your faith, the first thing in your mind is, man, if I bring up Jesus on the bus, I'm going to get mugged, I'm going to get shot, somebody will cuss me out. Um, and, and in Portland, that's the reality. In Portland, nobody wants to hear. It. This is the city of, of let's love everybody except whatever it is, even if you want to. My wife saw. A guy yesterday in the Leotard walked dancing down the street with a little umbrella. He looked like six foot five lumberjack looking guy. And in Portland you can't say anything against that. I have downtown when I'm preaching on the street. I saw a man walk around. All he had on was a three by three inch piece of cloth in front of him. That's it. And as I was preaching, he walked by me and I said, look at this disgusting display of immorality. And I just about got crucified on the street corner for daring to say that the guy should put some clothes on. So we know in Portland, and we know that in Portland, this is a tough thing. In the world it is, but in Portland in particular. And, and, uh, and so I teach people techniques on how to do this. And once you know how, then it's easy. So then you might try it. If you don't know how, you don't try. And, and let me tell you why that happens. I am not a pastor. I'm an evangelist. I could never teach anybody how to be a pastor. I can't do it. If I had young men that would want to be a ministry, or I want to be a pastor, Rico, uh, wrong guy to come and talk about that. You need to go to pastors, and they'll teach you how. A pastor can teach people how to be pastors. Pastors cannot teach people how to be evangelists or evangelizers. Evangelists should do that. So ask yourself the question, how many churches have evangelists teaching evangelism i don't know of any it's usually the pastor or some other deacon or minister but these guys don't have street street experience Mm -hmm. they don't know how to do it so i teach them how i even wrote a book on it i'm not trying to push the book but i wrote a book on it it has 28 ways to do this and it's and it's and they're simple you can use them immediately so that's what i do i teach uh, and since i don't get a lot of podium time in church because i'm too raw that's just the way it is i'm a street guy so i'm raw i don't put sugar it uh, i don't get asked so i do one-on-one and one-on-one happens i teach bible studies and i have meetings and things and and in those situations or on email or on facebook i send out a little tip or two and people try them and they say well i couldn't believe it was so easy well it's not that difficult and i'll say one more thing if only 12 people in each church only twelve. Said so God give me four people a day with whom to share the gospel and you use even only three of these twenty eight techniques. At the end of a the year, these twelve people have touched seventeen thousand five hundred twenty people without plugging into the wall, without using the internet, no audiovisual, no social media, just four, 12 people asking for four days. You can change the world. Change Portland. Yeah, that's like
0: that. amazing. It's a huge statistic right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know that you said that you and your wife Jerry find that often you're called to impoverished areas such as mm. Jamaica, and mm. that you really feel that people are more open to the gospel yep. there than in the United yep. States. So I want to ask you about Kingston and your time there. And there's really innocence dying in the slum. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you deal with that?
1: Um, it's 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 called the reality of numbers. In other words, if you let's say let's say. You have the ability to save a hundred people out of a crowd of a thousand. Let's say a disaster is happening, and you can only you only have enough boats or cars to get a, a hundred out of a thousand. the The fact that nine hundred are going to die is not going to stop you from working with a hundred. And the fact that you use that you worked a hundred is beautiful because a hundred will be saved. So, uh, and to bring it down to, to reality, right now, like as we speak, in one of the areas that we were working on in, in Kingston called Stadium Gardens, they've been having a, three, four, five murders a day. I just got it this morning on the, on the on the email. I'm in touch with these guys on a regular basis. These are young guys I've seen when they were like seven years old. Now they're 18, 19, Uh, being shot and killed over stupid stuff. Over there, it's not drugs because nobody has money to buy drugs. Over there, it's poverty. It's called poverty and desperation. Poverty makes you do desperate things. This is that simple. So if I'm poor and I have nothing, then my little five-by-five piece of shack is my castle. (laughs) You can't touch that. And if you touch it, you die. Because if I don't do king of my castle, then you're going to come take it. It's, It's a jungle mentality. So poverty, now no, add to that, add to that the fact that you don't even make $1.20 or $1.50 a day. But you need about six, seven bucks a day to live. How are you going to survive? If you have kids, what are you going to do when they say, Papa, I'm hungry? You'll, you'll go steal. And I remember I was in another town, called a place called Denim Town. Everybody over there in that area... Sucks the electricity off the lines. They they call it bandulu. They bandulu, the bandulu, the electric. You know, so what they do is they take a line and they put a little hook on it and they throw it over the giant line that's going down the street. And the flux is a electric electrical reality. The little electricity goes into that thing, and they get to to do their do their little TV or whatever it is they have down there. Well, the JPS, the Jamaican Public Service, was going to come and take all the Bandulu lines down, and suddenly everybody going to have to pay about 20 bucks a month, is what it was. And I ran into a guy, and I said, man, how are you doing? He says, I'm not doing too well. I said, why? Because now JPS is coming and take my line down. My Bandulu broke. You know, I, I don't have, I can't suck electricity anymore. So now, now I have to become a thief. He says, now I have to become a thief because I have children who don't eat. And this 20 bucks for me is difficult because I work all day for $20. Now I gotta pay $20 for this. As a matter of fact, they work all day for $10. So bottom line is, in my view has always been, I'm here to help, uh, I'll do what I can to help you. I might lose 10 out of the, out of the 11, but one's gonna make it, and that's good. It's better than none. One is better than none. Isn't
0: One it? is better than none. Yeah, that somebody is still a person, <laughs> yeah, it's still man. a child of God. One here. person.
1: And then if, if 10 of us do that, now it's 10. Mm-hmm. If 100 of us, is 100. See, it's all multiplication.
0: So according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, they say that there is 440,000 Christian missionaries and evangelists working Mm -hmm. abroad. Mm -hmm. And this is just from last year's study. Mm -hmm. And many of these have been killed, of course, in the line of duty. It's their calling and it's their deaths. And this Mm. has really sparked a debate among the evangelists Mm. as far as either, do you say sometimes it's some extreme missionary work to get these people out of the slums and get these people from what's happening? Right.
1: So, well... This is how it goes. Uh, unfortunately, people who do this kind of work have to be stubborn, opinionated, type A, pushy, adventurous, and you, know, you, you have to have that mindset. Otherwise, you won't do it. So you, you know you're already that kind of person. But then when you're doing something like this, now you're the, the odd man out. You're in a strange place. Sometimes people do these things to big themselves up because then they can come back to America and say, I used to walk the trails with the tsetse flies and the mosquitoes and the headhunters. Wow, you know, there's a wow factor there, okay, which works on your ego, and it's a bad thing. I've known people who have done what looked like wonderful evangelical things, but it was a stupid thing to do. Like they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they got themselves hurt or killed. You know, it's, it's not good. Now, having said that, I'll give you a st- true, true story. There was a battlefield going on just like what's going on right now in Stadium Garden in the same area. It's called Mountain View. And Mountain View is an area that but- has a, 10 different bad little areas. And um, uh, my colleague over there, my evangelist colleague, Mike, uh, one day, he says, you know, says, God told me to, we need to go over there because they're killing people in, a, in Mountain View, and we need to go walk up there with a, with a stick and a white shirt and, and declare peace. I thought, yeah, well, I'm glad God spoke to you because he sure didn't speak to me about getting myself killed tomorrow. They're not going to do that. Well, then as I thought about it over the evening, I thought, I can't let him go down there by himself. I, eh, I don't want to go, but I'm going to go anyway. So I told my wife, I said, Jay, I'm going to go with Mike to Mountain View tomorrow and if we don't come home by 5, look at the morgue or look at the hospital because this, the, you know, they, I won't say what they were doing. They are doing bad things, real bad things to people, killing people and, and worse. Um, so we get on the way down there, and I say, Mike, pull over for a minute. We need to pray for this. Said, why should I pray? God might want to use my blood to build the church. in King said, said so we might want to use your blood. <laughs> I don't know if he wants to use my blood. <laughs> let's pray here. But anyway, we pulled out, pulled down there, and the uh, police showed up and said, what you doing here? So we walking, we marching for peace in Jesus' name in his neighborhood. Said, so yeah, well, good luck. <laughs> and they drove off. Um, and we didn't get killed. And that night, they de- declared a, pr- a truce. I must give g- glory to God for that. We could have got killed easily. Yeah. I've had times when I saw the look on the guys, and it was the dead look. There's a look of guys who have killed before and will kill now. You Once you walk around that, you, you can see who's hard like that. And I had to get out of there. Another time I got lost in a terrible... T- bad place and I, it was the only time I was really concerned that I was not gonna make it out I, I made a wrong turn then I'm deeper and deeper and deeper and I'm in the middle of this freaking jungle and uh jungle not physical jungle jungle of cars and homes and slums and and I was definitely the one man out I mean I'm the only non-black in there and it's obvious that I don't live there and I'm thinking it's over and I was what I mean I I'm a, I'm a black belt, so I can handle myself, but I can't find 50 people. I can't fight two, three, four people. It's, two guys came up to me, put their arms around me. I thought, okay, I'm going to have to make my move here or whatever. It didn't happen. But uh, And actually, that day, when I finally got out to the main area, a guy and three ladies are coming toward me, and they look bad. And I thought, here we go. And he says, he says to me, what are you? he come up to me, what are you doing in here? I said, I'm a gospel preacher. You're yeah, a gospel preacher, for real? I said, yeah. I said, what do you preach? I said, freedom in Christ. I said, for real? Many prayer. And he was a pimp and three prostitutes. And we stood there, held hands, and prayed. I mean, so to answer your question, I would say you shouldn't worry about the death thing. If you do that, don't be a missionary. Okay, Don't be a missionary in Jamaica. You want to be a cool missionary, go to Europe. <laughs> and have a, little, have a little decaf coffee with a little cherry on top. Nobody going to kill you over there, but, but Jamaica, no, man, in the bad areas. And and then some other bad, bad areas in are Naples, Italy, where I grew up, terrible. If I, if I went there, I'd get myself killed automatically. So death, and, you know, Jim Elliott, who is from Portland and used to go to the church up in the southeast over there, said no man's worth, what do he say? No man's a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to, to gain what he cannot lose. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so death, uh, you know, I don't want to die. Uh, and, I, and, and on top of that, I am not one of these blissful, nonviolent missionaries. So one day I was in a bad neighborhood, and a, I was waiting for my wife to come out of a lab, a medical lab, and I get tapped on the shoulder. I turn around, and I'm staring at a freaking navel. This guy was like 6'10", looked like a basketball star. And uh, he says, what you do in this neighborhood over your soul? I said, what are you doing here? I said, man, I just wait for my wife. She says, yeah, well, you look like Jesus. I said, why do you say that? Because you're a white boy. I said, for real? So yeah. So I ha- actually, back then, I had, a, I had uh, 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 gospel tracts that had a black Jesus or a dark-skinned Jesus on it. And so I said, let me show you something, man. So I went over to get my cards. But back then, I was brand, brand new in Jamaica. And I used to carry a, a club, like a like a yeah. you know, whatever you call them, thing, you know, like to beat somebody like with. a billy club. But, yeah, yeah, a big one, though. It was a half of an axe handle. And it was right there by my steering wheel. And so he said, man, you're a weird preacher. You have a Bible in one hand and club in the other. What kind of preacher that? <laughs> said, what kind of preacher are you? I said, this is the kind of preacher I am. If you try to mess with me, I'll break your leg with this thing, and then I'm going to pop you upside the head, and then I'll drag you to the hospital, and once we get to the hospital, we will pray, okay? So I, I, I wasn't about to sit around and wait for somebody to hurt me or hurt my wife. We were robbed in the house in the middle of the night. I chased the guy with a machete. But I let everybody know in the neighborhood, and I knew they knew him, that I love the guy, and I'll forgive the guy, but if he comes back, he's going to get cut.
0: Rico, these stories, they are rich, and they're vibrant, and I'm (laughs) loving them. Can you tell me a story of being invited to someone's house if they were dying or a death just happened, ministering Uh, to somebody who was transitioning uh, on their way to heaven?
1: uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had so many. But uh, a couple of them stick to my mind. One was a little girl named Janelle. She was um, 14 uh she lived five hours away from the bad hospital uh and uh a, a terrible hospital and that's where she was she had brain tumor and of course these people didn't know what to do with it and long story short the brain tumor got worse she was there for two years you had to bring your own bedding, your own food we watched her go from uh you know 100 pounds to 40 pounds she died at 14 weighing 43 pounds um my mother friends girl herself uh, that was one. Another one was uh, a lady. We had gone into a, a, a slum area, and the lady showed us this cute little baby. And, uh, as, you know, we came back a week later, and she's, she's laying on the, on the broke-down refrigerator in the slum with dirt and cats and rats and everything, leaning there looking sad. I said, what happened? She says, I'm a baby die. Your baby die? What happened? I'm squish her during the night. She's sleeping on one bed with five kids, Right. At least she had four kids left. I mean, that's how she's thinking. And then one more, we had another lady there in the neighborhood. She had six kids from three different guys, and one of them was a crazy man. And she kept wanting to leave and escape the slum, and she just couldn't do it. Um, and she eventually got killed by this guy real bad, real not just killed, but killed bad. And left the six kids, you know. So when you go into there, just like I wrote to you on a thing, in, this is my opinion and my way, but I think anybody who's seen this a lot, in the moment of bereavement, the moment of losing somebody, whether it's your, your personal person or a friend, it's a, it's your, it's it's your hands, your heart, your shoulders, your feelings, your love that's going to fix these folks. End the story. I saw, I heard of, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard that in, during the war there was a, a statue of Jesus at some Catholic church that got blown up, and the arms of the Jesus of the open-handed Jesus went, got blown off, and so they kept putting fake ones on, trying to make a new one, you know, so it could look like a cool statue, and they they kept falling off. They had the wrong glue or whatever, and so. Finally, they stopped and they put a sign below that says, uh, we are his arms. So that's the thing. I mean, s- s- human suffering, regardless of who or what it is, is the same. We all suffer. And and loss of loved ones is a hassle. And, and in my, in the way I see it, the the, the, the Jesus love thing, that's more important than any kind of theology about this stuff. Uh, he's in heaven. I don't want to hear that. I wish my mom was here. See, I mean, uh, oh, it will be made right in the future life. Who cares? Right now, Chris is dead. She was murdered and tortured and stuff. And little, little, we we went through so many of these. Mm. Really, really, it was. Like, in Jamaica, it's, a, it's an everyday story. Every day, somebody you know got killed or shot or mugged or something. Is crazy. So
0: how can this be? Addictive. I, I realize you are on fire for this. You have it in your heart. You're placed on the planet for this. But right. with all of the sadness that you have right. to bear like a cross, how, how does that addiction I'll tell up? you
1: why. Because you're alive. You're super alive. Look here. This, this, this society here in America puts you to sleep. Puts us to sleep. Puts churches to sleep. Well, you say, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna go to we're gonna we're gonna go to the church on Sunday and have what? We're gonna have a little song, then we're gonna have a little announcement, then a nice offering, then a little special music with the violin, and then the preacher's gonna the preacherette's gonna give us a sermonette, and we're gonna go home. I hope it's on time for the for the show that I'm gonna miss. How in the world does that make you feel alive? You walk you walk down the street. Okay, I'll tell you why. Because what happens? You see. Transformed lives. I had one guy. I'll give you an example. Uh, one guy. I forgot. I went back, uh, whatever, six months ago, and this guy comes up to me and he said, "You remember me?" No, I don't. Uh, who are you? Oh, you gave me Gospel of John. Okay, what's what happened? It changed my life. I was a gunman. Boom, I'm not there. I had another one. He lost all his teeth from fights, and he lost his mind from drugs, and he always kept coming up to me in the street. Yeah, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me, Pastor. I said, whatever. I don't know if anything going in there through his mind, right? uh last time i was there he got saved he went to church he got baptized transformed me quoting scriptures walked down the street you see it's kind of like a doctor that does surgeries and every time the surgeries produce people to be healthy so in america that kind of doesn't happen here they do sheep shifting you go to one church for 10 years and another one for five years. I don't like the pastor. His wife turned me off, whatever, and so now I don't go there anymore. There it's like you're in the middle of real, real fight, real fix. It, it, it's, it's, you want to have more because you see what happens. It, it would happen here too. If we saw that in the States, we would be doing it too. But people don't see it because they don't get out and do it. If you go out and do it, you find out. You have to jump in. It's a dangerous, and it's scary, but it's exciting. So anyway. So I
0: see you around town in Portland. You play piano, mm-hmm. and you're at church services, at home and help people yeah. as they're transitioning out and going on to better places. Right. And what do you think about the American way of how we deal with this, with funerary stuff and talking to families and church? I think, I,
1: think Ameri- I, think, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not experienced in that area because you are. That's your business. But my impression, mm-hmm. so just on my side of you things, bet. is it's sanitized. It's too sanitized. It's too clean. Death is dirty. Death is nasty. So we don't like that. America like to put a cover over everything. And that's part of the problem because everything that's kind of bad, we kind of sugarcoat it. And so we always just so have a nice day, sir. I, I'm from New York originally. I mean, Italy, New York. You say have a nice day three times to me, I'm gonna get upset. I'm gonna have to say some dirty word or something like that, you know? So <laughs> it's too sanitized. I think it's, it's so, so nice. Death is not nice.
0: No, it's sure not. And, you know, I look at your history and the fact you've had the four knee surgeries. Tell me if I'm not right on any of this. Two years of crippling arthritis and the rehabilitation after the triple bypass Mm. open heart surgery. So you've faced the possibility of death and dying. So how does that really better equip you to help others facing their own death? It makes
1: me appreciate life and understand what fear is. And and, and the, um, the crippling arthritis thing was really bad because the doctor basically said, you never walk again. Uh, and, and And I used to do I used to sell medicine. So I know what was going on. So it makes me appreciate. So it makes me say to people, there's there's hope, there's hope. As long as you're alive, there's hope. You know, I, I just posted a thing this morning on Facebook of a guy that's born with no arms and no legs. And it's not that guy called Life Without Limbs. It's another one. It's bad stuff. So, you know, we learn, we learn to take a hold of life and make what we can with it. That's what I learned from it. Because I almost died. I had a month to live. Doctor said, if you don't get the surgery, you don't live long, you know. And the, and the arthritis, I had the, I could, I mean, I slept an hour at a time all night, every night for four about four months. Not good. So you, you, you learn to empathize. You learn that you know what suffering is, and so you can, you can relate to somebody else's suffering and offer them some ideas. You know.
0: So we'll leave you with this. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 that fulfilling God's will for him in spreading the gospel was more important to him than life itself. And that's really, I find, what we're talking about today, the idea of the value of the listening ear and the strong embrace, mm-hmm. the open heart, loving as you are. Yep. You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM, The Truth. Thank you to my guest, Rico Kaplan. Hey. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other. We'll listen.